to the official podcast of the Boston Police Patrolman's Association. Larry, this is podcast number three. And uh, obviously, we're calling our podcast Answering the Call. Quick introductions. I'm Jamie Keneally, the Legislative Director for the Boston Police Patrolman's Association, alongside Larry Calderon. Calderon or Calderoni? Either one you want. I okay. answer to both. All right, we're gonna, we'll, do, we'll just do Larry. The president of the BPPA. Larry, I got to say, podcast number three, feedback has been good. What, 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 do you, what are you hearing? Hearing the same thing, Jamie. Uh, speaking to officers uh, pretty much every other day, telling me, hey, great job on the podcast, great idea on a podcast. Uh, one of the things that we heard a lot on the campaign trail uh, for the last few years was the union needs to do a better job at getting information out to the membership. And whether, you know, I know you're responsible for the majority of it, but whether we're bringing Twitter from 200 followers to almost 5,000 followers, um, me setting up the union-wide email list, to now having a, an open forum on our own podcast that, that plays for our members, whether they're doing a detail, riding in a car, or whatever they might be doing. They can take 20, 30 minutes to listen to the most important topics that are ongoing every 30 days or so down at the BPPA. So this is great, and we're getting great feedback on it. And I'm just going to say, the one thing I keep hearing time and time again is, is our officers just want to hear, hey, listen, guys, girls, you're doing a great job. And finally, they have a place where they can go to hear that. And, and I think the podcast, we've done that over the first couple episodes, obviously something we, we want to continue, but we can't say it enough. Our officers, those who are listening, you're doing a hell of a job. Everyone needs to hear that. I mean, you and I were just together yesterday when we had a member of our um, family services unit show up down the union hall just to stop down, say hello, and ask me specifically how I was doing. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, I know the men and women on the street need to hear they're doing a good job and they need to hear, hey, thank you. Um, but we're all human beings. So on a sensitive note, I thank that officer tremendously uh, for stopping by the union hall and just checking in to see how we're doing. Yep. The appreciation matters. And given all the the negativity surrounding our, our profession, people need to know. And again, I think most people in Boston who grew up in Boston, live in the city, know that we do, in fact, have one of the best, if not the best police departments in the nation. And I think that's something you don't hear enough. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, real quick, Larry, I know you, unfortunately, sadly, your father passed away recently. Um, I, you know, I was at the services with you. Uh, the turnout was tremendous. Um, you know, do you want to touch on that real quick? Um, yeah, I'll say thank you, Jamie, to obviously you, the leadership team, and all the members of the BPPA and um, members of the department that showed up. I duly appreciate the outpouring of sympathy and support, uh, which is kind of what I was hitting to about the officer from Family Services showing up yesterday. Um, it, it, it means a lot to have the members of your own organization and the extended department and friends everywhere just reach out and say, hey, how you doing? Uh, when you lose a family member, whether it's sudden or something that's been going on for a long time, it's never easy. So uh, that's a long answer of I thank everybody for the outpouring of support and, and thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, no, it, it means a lot, that's for sure. All right, so switching topics today's show, the, the big three, obviously we still want to talk about contract negotiations. Our, our men and women still without a contract. Uh, we have a new commissioner, Michael Cox. Welcome back to Boston. And another, uh, no surprise here, another dumb, insulting article in the Boston Globe this time accusing uh, the BPD, the brick, specifically of being racist. Surprise, surprise. But before we get to that, and I know there's some news you want to share, but I think we should probably um, you know, mention the fact that we had two officers uh, hurt, literally run over at the Puerto Rican parade two or three weeks ago when a deranged 
you know, clown thought it was okay to, to blow through a barricade at the Puerto Rican parade, um, striking our officers. Thankfully, for the love of God, they are okay. But there's no doubt that their heroic response saved lives. Um, you know, Larry, what do you, what do you say to, to, to that incident? Yeah, it's, it's glad. I mean, we're glad to hear that the two officers are recovering well. Um, but this is a prime example of what we talked about in our previous podcast with the city issuing permits every single weekend for a multitude of different reasons. And look, we, we love parades and celebrations. We're not saying don't have them. But what we're saying is it takes police officers to provide public safety. And whether you're talking about a huge um, strip for an open uh, Open Street Festival is making plain yeah, two point seven miles from Jackson Square to the yeah. monument. Yeah, if you if you're talking about the open streets in Jamaica Plain, uh, you need police officers to prevent a tragedy like we saw in Wisconsin. If you if you're going Charlottesville, to Charlottesville, Wisconsin, yeah, yeah I mean. if you're going to put thousands of people in the middle of a street, if you're going to put a thousand people up on Jewish Memorial Drive to celebrate a festival, um, someone's heritage, whatever it might be, we're all about it. But public safety is a must, and you have to have police officers at intersections when you're closing streets with the authority to stop people um, legally. And in this instance, we had two police officers together at this location. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. And the guy just totally disregarded the barriers, totally disregarded the police officers, ran two of them over with his vehicle until they were finally able to apprehend him. Um you know, we do a great job every day out there. You, you need to say thank you. You need to tell the officers to be safe. But even more so, you need to tell the public officials, wake hey, up. wake up. Yeah, where are you? Are you out there saying thank you? Are you visiting the, the offices in the hospital? And be vocal. Talk about supporting your local police officers and the job they do every day and make it easier for them. Stop this facade of defunding one day and then patting us on the back the next. The reality is we do a great job every day. We're short hundreds of police officers. Um, you know, get with it, elected officials. Well, it, it, and we should probably mention, because I know you heard from elected officials. I certainly did, too. You know, Counselor Aaron Murphy, Frank Baker, uh, Eddie Flynn, Michael Flaherty always seem to make that call, always take that extra moment or second to check in. But it, it also reminds me of a conversation that you and I had with a completely clueless city councilor who wanted to downplay the importance of having police officers at these, you know, outdoor festivals. And I remember this individual saying, do you really need police officers at every street, at every barricade? Do you really, do you really need all of that? I, I, I'm going to say real quick on that, Jamie. Yes, you do. And it's obvious just based upon what happened with the two officers getting struck by the car. But forget that nonsense for one second. L let's go back to what you just said. It's the same five or six city councilors uh, that are always being vocal supporting police officers. It shows you how divided we are in the city of Boston. We talk about inclusion. Uh, we hear this rhetoric from the city council as a whole. And I call it rhetoric, even though I know I'm going to offend some of the councilors. But it's the counselors themselves that talk about acceptance. It's the council themselves that talked about fair and equitable treatment for all. Inclusion, but, quality. Yep. Yeah. But yet it's always the same six or seven that are silent when a police officer gets hurt. They're silent. Shameful. It's shameful. Yep. Right. And it needs to be called out. Because if we're going to thank the usual players, uh, the five or six city councilors that are always out there, even the mayor herself that I know that contacted offices and gave words of support, um, 
what about the ones that never give words of support? What about the candidates that are running for office that do nothing but condemn the police department and then want to pretend they're supportive when they're looking for a vote? That needs to be said. Yeah, shameful. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what? That, that would force them to actually look at police officers uh, as human beings instead of just a bunch of people in blue who allegedly, according to them, just trample people's rights all the time. And it's, it's, it's a joke and you're right to call it out. Um, quickly... We talked the last time about the fact that we need to hire more police officers, officers being forced to work, you know, 16, in some cases, 24 hours a day. It's ridiculous. Um, you push back. Uh, you raise the issue and you've been watching to see what the response has been from the department. And it sounds as if doing more with less, Larry, unfortunately, is, is that still in play or what's what's the latest? Oh, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we did. So we pushed back. We, we put out a press conference. I uh, got on a couple of local media stations and, and told our point of view again about how short we are and how we're in the need of more offices. And to have a police officer work 24 hours straight is absolutely unacceptable. Should never happen. So we'll give kudos to Chief Long, who put a stop to that right away. Um, we had some internal conversations, good conversations with the chief, with the new superintendent of BFS, um, which which we got to a point where directives were given to area and district captains that under, unless an extraordinary circumstance, that no police officer would work a third tour. That is great. That is what we set out to do, and we accomplished it. We don't want police officers working a third tour short of some major catastrophe, whether it be... Um, a marathon bombing or uh, a 9-11 incident that's obviously uh, yeah, it's sensitive, it's sensitive, be the exception. sensitive to talk. It has right. to be the exception. not going to be yeah. the, the rule. But let me tell me what we, what we have found out now over the last uh, three to four weeks as we've been watching and we've been garnering the help and support of our uh, elected reps in the House at the Union. What we have found out is the city is, excuse me, the city and the department, I'm not quite sure, if one is to blame only or both, but basically they're playing a numbers game of Robin Peter to pay Paul. What they have done now is sent out directives that no officer will work a third tour, but they have in the department their own minimum staffing levels. That being the least amount of police officers it takes to answer the calls for service to keep the general public and the officers safe on a tour of duty. That minimum level is not even being met. What the department has done, and we have the actual baton orders from the last half around the city over the last three to four weeks, what they've been doing is running short. They have a minimum staffing level that they do not meet, and they will not order offices to meet if it puts them on a third tour. Now, we're stuck in a quadrant because we don't want offices working a third tour. It's absolutely unsafe. But now you turn the page, and we're not any better. We're actually... Worse off maybe than we would be if we had a body there. Because now instead of the minimum level of officers to keep everybody safe, you're putting officers in the general public at risk by not having enough bodies. So I'm going slow and I'm stressing it. This charade that the department is playing with the general public is nothing more than lies. And I'm being very strong. I know we don't like to say lies, but we don't have enough bodies. We don't have the men and women on the street to answer the calls for service, to keep each other safe at night, during the day, when the crap hits the fan and people are calling 911. 
And I'll stay on 911 because the 911 operating system has the same problem that the sworn offices do. The 911 call takers are down 60% to their minimum staffing. Let me say that again for you so it, so it sinks in for everybody that is listening. They're down 60% of their manpower. They're ordering them around the clock. They can't oh, hire bodies fast enough, which means calls are stacking. Sorry, Jamie, sorry. And that means calls are stacking. That means offices are overworked. They never get a break. And, and it just keeps rolling downhill. But you hear nothing about it in the media because the Globe would rather write a slanderous story about the brick, which isn't true, instead of telling the truth about a department that is inept. And it's not everybody. But it comes down to management, and it flows all the way to the mayor's office. We are short hundreds of bodies, and a police officer or a member of the general public is going to be hurt or killed because of their lack of sincerity of hiring bodies. Yeah. And, and you know what? And, and I guess that obviously when you talk about the 60%, they're running, they, they, they're down 60%. We say it all the time. When you continue to disparage and disrespect and, and, and bang on law enforcement, at some point people are forced to ask the question, what am I getting out of this? Where is the satisfaction in doing this job? And it's why we continue to say enough with the, with the, with the ridiculous uh, criticism. At some point you need to build up you know, and support your law enforcement officers. But, you know, mandatory minimum staffing levels, and it's funny, I think of, you know, for those who don't understand it, I know in nursing, and, and, and you've got some nurses in the family, you know, they, there is a standard um, nurse-to-patient ratio where they want, you know, one nurse to five patients. That's a one nurse to three? Three, so, three patients. So, so one, one nurse, it's, one it's gotten better, okay? Yeah. So, but what they're saying is, you need to have these ratios in place, these minimum staffing numbers in place to ensure the best care possible. Similar to the, you know, the one nurse for three patients, there are minimum staffing levels in the police department to make sure that when you call 911, your call gets answered. You're not put on hold. And we have enough officers to back guys up in difficult calls. But I mean, just maybe touch a little bit more on that. It's minimum. We're not even filling the minimum. Are we at a crisis level? We are at a crisis level, uh, and, and I'm going to put some numbers out there that I know the department won't put out there. But you have a sector in the city that's one of the largest geographical areas in the city, and on the midnight shift, uh, they have two two officer cars, two single officer cars, and maybe a wagon with two more officers. So you're talking about eight bodies on the street for a huge geographical area in the city. And on a consistent basis, they will call what they have, uh, what they term the emergency deployment teams. So they activate a two-officer car and a single-officer car, and they take them to another part of the city. So if you're stripping a district who has eight offices on the street and one inside for a total of nine, and you take three of them away, that leaves five officers to answer the calls for service. Now, if you have two of them that are off on arrest, that leaves three. How can anyone in the general public feel safe sleeping at night knowing that there's three police officers that are driving around protecting the general public from anything that might happen and be available for a call for service that undoubtedly will take all three officers to respond to, leaving no one for active patrol, leaving no officers to back up officers in need, leaving no sworn police officers on the street. How can somebody feel safe in the city of Boston going to bed at night knowing that that's happening? And it's not just in one area, Jamie. It's happening throughout the entire city. You say it all the time. 
hire more police officers. That is the obvious fix. You need more bodies to ensure that layer of safety and security. Um, you know, is there a sense of urgency? No matter, it seems like no matter how many times you say it, is the message being received that the time to hire police officers isn't now? It was a year ago. We need more bodies. Do you feel like enough is being done? No. No, which is why you have the sense of aggravation in my voice here today on this podcast. Yep. I don't feel like we're being listened to. I don't feel like we're getting the response that the men and women that are out there serving the general public daily deserve. Uh, you're right. I've been banging this drum for a year and a half now that I've been president, and we're getting no satisfaction from it. What we did get was we got a class that was supposed to go in, I believe, in September, now being put off to the end of the year. It is ludicrous for anybody to sit there and say we can continue doing more with less you know when the urgency will be met you know when we'll see all our elected officials come out and say oh what a shame we have to hire more when one of us gets killed that and and i know that's strong for me to sit here and say but that's when you got to see it yeah. just recently you see eddie flynn the councilor putting pen to paper and actually supporting in writing hiring more police officers oh. what we should have is an entire city council putting pen to paper along with the mayor of the city and get a class in and get a second class in back to back. This this nonsense of, oh, we, we don't have the power to do it. We don't have a facility to do it. We have all of these training facilities where Boston police officers are training with the MPTC right in Randolph on a daily basis. You're telling me we can't make a deal to hire double classes to put a couple of hundred in during the day and during the night. It It's absolute bogus nonsense well, talk. U.S. News and World Reports is Boston is one of the most uh, desired cities to live in in the country. And again, we say it and we'll say it again. A successful city is a safe city. Don't play around with your public safety efforts. Be And be grateful and fortunate that we have some of the best of the best in this, in this, in this country. So for the love of God, pay and hire more police officers. And on that note, uh, you know, I know this is coming hard and fast today. Um, at some point, the, the new commissioner, Commissioner Michael Cox, will hear this. Um, I've had a couple of conversations with him since he's been sworn in. I had a couple of conversations prior to him arriving in the city of Boston. Uh, I'm, I'm expecting bigger and better things uh, from the commissioner in the department. He's, can we, can I, can we ask? What yeah, advice, let's, let, what, let's, what it, let's go into so it. Cause I don't, did, I don't want did, this to fall back on, on right, the so, present commissioner or chief long, by the way, this isn't chief long's no. problem. It's not, uh, it's not something chief long created. This is something that's been going on since Marty Walsh took over as mayor. So what are you saying to the new commissioner? What, what, what are you saying to Michael Cox? We're having this same type of conversation in a professional manner. I've, um, brief the commissioner on previous conversations that I've had with Chief Long, um, with with Mayor Wu, with Mayor Janey, with Mayor Walsh, um, it, whether it be in the role as a legislative director like yourself, VP or president, nothing has changed in the point of view and the needs of the department. We are short hundreds of officers and we continue to lose officers, not only through attrition and retirements, but to the fire department. Yeah. And when, when asked, hey, Larry, why do we lose so many police officers to fire? Hello? Because it is a better job right now. 
because the fire department is hiring class after class, putting bodies in, and they're not subject to the negative nonsense stories of the Boston Globe. They're, they're not being terrorized by the city council with defunding every time they turn around. Yeah. Whenever you see a bad story in another part of the country, whether it be Minnesota, New York, Oregon, Portland, uh, just recently as the other day, Arkansas, that is not the members of the Boston Police Department. So why do my why do our members leave and go to the fire? Because right now they're not dealing with the with the nonsense yeah. that our men and women are dealing with sick on a daily basis. Sick of being basis. painted with the same brush. They're sick yeah. of being compared to officers in other parts of the country. These exceptional cases that are not the rule. Yeah, you talk to our members; they're fed up with it. They're absolutely fed up. They're angry. And yeah, they are going to the fire department because let's face it, the fire department is a better job. And when we say better, I love being a police officer, just like I know you do. And I know the police officers are here because they have a calling. And some of the officers that I've spoken to, personal friends of mine that have gone to the fire department, they love being police officers, but they hate being ordered to work 85, 90 hours a week. Work-life that's, balance. That's not happening in the fire department. Nope. Nope. Uh, the fire department's working a different schedule. But their days off are their days off. And they're not being ordered for that third, fourth tour. It, it's just... It's ludicrous how we're treated in the police yeah. department, and it needs to get better because truth be told, officers are going to go to the fire department. They're going to leave for the private sector. It's proven. That is what is happening. We're losing over 100 bodies a year in the police department. So when I just had this conversation with a top official in the department, not the new commissioner, uh, I just had this conversation. We have lost more officers this year then the class that's currently in the academy yeah. coming out can offset. We are up. going to be in the negative at the end of the year. So it just bodes, uh, it, it adds credence to what we are saying consistently is we cannot hire enough people. Not faster. just the fire department either, Larry. Surrounding cities and towns are hiring Boston police officers because you know why? Because surrounding towns and cities are paying police officers more than the city of Boston. And that's, that's a problem as well. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that we're the, we're the capital city in the state of Massachusetts and we have smaller communities, uh, cities and towns that, uh, I guess you could say it however you want, but maybe they respect their police officers more. They see the value in having a happy police department. You know, a happy police officer uh, is a human being. You, you're just happy in your job, which reflects more positively on the department uh, and it makes the people you serve have a better interaction. Yeah. Value, with you. value your yeah. workforce. How do you do that? You pay them and you treat them with respect. It, it, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Speaking of paying our officers, our officers, let's do a little contract update. Sure. Collective bargaining continues. Still no contract for the hardworking men and women, men and women of BPPA. Um, let me ask how many times have, have you, have you met to date? Uh, this is where I'm going to give the city some kudos. So we, ha we've been actively and very aggressively negotiating with the, with the city of Boston and, Mayor Wu's new team, specifically this um, new chief of staff of labor, uh, Renee Busi and Lou Mandarini, they have taken the reins pretty much away from the department side of labor. The department wanted to stall, as you know, uh, I said in the last podcast, they didn't have any time or any meetings that they could give us through the, through the summer months because everybody's on vacation. Too, at they, were too, they were too busy. Yeah, yeah, everybody. No, no, they weren't too busy. <laughs> they, they, from, from the chief of labor, Steve Sutliff himself, told me they were too busy. They, they were too busy and they were too shorthanded because everybody was on vacation. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give kudos to the mayor's team who has made it a point to meet with us now on several occasions through the month of July, uh, three more here in August. We have one more 
for August 31st that's uh, on paper slated to happen. We have gone from uh, our 10 to 12 items on our list down to uh, a top five at the moment. Let me just stop you. Though. So you've yeah. met seven times. You said several. Has that been seven times or three more, four more to come? Uh, that is that is seven times. Okay. One more to come at the end of this month with Mayor Wu's team. Okay. And, and that sounds like a lot, but for perspective, or if you can put it in perspective, you know, because I've heard the question, like, how many times should it take to get a deal done? How many meetings or how many sit-downs do, do you have to have? I know there's probably, it varies, but I mean, once you get to a certain number, do you feel like you're getting closer? You're, you're, you're done seven, you know, could three more get it done? I mean, you, you tell me, what's what's the answer to that? Well, there's no real magic number when it comes to how many to get a deal done. It, it boils down to, uh, does the mayor and uh, the president of the union really want to get a deal done? It's, uh, I'll, I'll use uh, some historical f um, numbers here. So I have a seat on the Joint Labor Management Committee in the Commonwealth. Joint Labor Management is a, a state organization that mediates and if need be, um, goes to an, uh, an independent arbitrator to settle contract disputes. It's made up of city managers and leaders of um, both police and fire unions in the Commonwealth. And what I've discovered over the last four or five years of sitting and doing outside contracts, whether it's Quincy, Framingham, um, uh, just recently Worcester, if the town leader wants a contract, you can get it done in a dozen meetings. If the town leader wants to stall, then the leader's labor team will drag it out and go on for years. See, you remember uh, the Menino days during Mayor Menino, rest in peace. Um, you know, there were times where we went years without a contract and it's stalling after stalling, meeting after meeting. Uh, under Mayor Walsh, uh, in my experience here, things moved a little bit quicker. Things were getting done in, in a more reasonable time fashion. And now we're here with Mayor Wu, who's made it a point publicly to say, hey, she'd like to wrap up the contract with the Boston Police Patrolmen's Association by November, by the end of the year. She wants a deal in place. Uh, we're optimistic about it by having seven meetings, Jamie, and, and knowing that we're getting down to the top points of view, both from the city's side, what they're looking to do and achieve, and what we're looking to do and achieve. So, all right. So uh, let me uh, let me ask you. And, and time is starting to get tight, so we got a lot yep. still to get to. The teachers' union recently agreed to a tentative agreement. Um, does that give you hope and optimism that once the teachers are done, we're next? Does it give you a sense that we could be close? Or how do you? How does that bode? Uh, or does that bode well for the BPPA? The fact that they 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 have a deal done with the teachers. It does bode well for us, and it and again, it makes me feel positive to know that the, the mayor set her sights on getting a deal done with the teachers, and she got it done. Uh, the same person, that Lou Mandarini and Renee Busi, they were the chief negotiators for the teachers. They are the chief negotiators here with our organization. Um, it's important for the members to know, as the leadership team has been going around to roll calls and stations, and the House of Reps has been talking to their members, it is a fluid negotiation. You know, we had a top five that we talked about in the last podcast. Well, that's changed by one now. And every time we get to the table, it may change again, because if the city gets to a point where they say, absolutely, no, we're not doing that. Well, then we may have to change our strategy and vice versa or on the other side of the table. But what the mayor does know and the chief of her team does know is if we don't get to an agreement that I can bring back to the members to vote on, then we will have to file for arbitration of the Joint Labor Management Committee. And to be Period. clear, you're not afraid of arbitration? No. Okay. 
I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of arbitration. And I said that quickly because yep. we want the members to know we're not afraid of arbitration. Well, we have a seat up there. We've been through this before. You understand How the process. The five issues remain the same. Wages, educational incentive, four and four schedule, residency. Details uh, is on the table. You know, I've heard people say and ask, you know, you shouldn't put details in the contract. Um, that, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense when you consider we have one of the lowest detail rates in the state. And I think I've heard you say time and time again, it's up to the commissioner to raise the detail rate. And nobody has in recent history. So when somebody says to you, you shouldn't have details in the contract, what do you say to them, Larry? The people that are running around the city saying you don't want details in their contract lack the information and the knowledge of what they're talking about. And I say that respectfully because it's just a lack of information and knowledge. You absolutely want your details in your contract. Look no further than Quincy, the state police, our own superior officers federation, who just recently won their case at the DLR, specifically stated that their detail rate of pay cannot fall below their daily rate. Yeah. So when protections people, in place in the contract, there's protections yeah. in place. There's pay raises to be had. And for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what almost took place, we almost had a deal with then Mayor Walsh before he left, where the department in the city wants prioritization of the large venues. In exchange, we would have been paid the highest overtime rate for the most senior police officer. And what does that mean? That means your highest overtime rate every time you do Fenway Park or the Garden or the BC football game is going to be at the highest overtime rate regardless of your tenure on the job. That is important to have in writing because like you said, we are the lowest police department in the Commonwealth when it comes to pay. And you look no further than those communities I just talked about. And I use them because I have intimate knowledge of them. Quincy, I did their arbitration. I was involved in their detailed negotiation. They're very well compensated because the mayor of the city of Quincy wanted the details to be filled, wanted police officers on that site. So if the mayor of the city of Boston wants the large venues to be covered and wants her police officers there, which she should, then pay us because we deserve to do it. We want to do it, but we don't want to do it for a half price yep. discount. And again, we say it all the time because it needs to be said, details, pay details, an added layer of public safety protection at zero cost. Zero cost to your taxpayers. Yeah, when you look at Fenway Park, Fenway Park is very willing to pay the overtime rate. They've been doing it for the last two weeks. Red Sox they, pay it. They've been filling the Fenway detail for the last two weeks, and they've been doing it on overtime. So it can be done, and it should be part of your collective bargaining process and in the in the agreement itself. Couldn't agree more. Last two things, quick yeah. response. Michael Cox, welcome back to Boston. Quick thought on him. Quick thought on, on the commissioner. Look, um... Uh, Commissioner has, has been a police officer in Boston. He grew up in Boston. Uh, he was been here. A f uh, I think he, I think he came on in eighty nine or ninety. I might have the year. He's only like thirty years. Thirty year veteran. Yeah, he's a thirty year veteran of the department. He knows what the department needs for changes. He knows what the city of Boston needs um, when it comes to its citizens, its protection, and how they feel about community policing and the men and women in uniform. We're expecting great things from him. Yeah. Uh, I think the mayor made a great choice when she was looking for, uh, in other people's point of view, when she was looking for an outsider, 
she gets the best of both worlds. Uh, you know, Commissioner yeah. Cox was, he had left, he was in Michigan, um, and she brought him back. And here he is, he's a product of Boston, he's a product of the department, but he's also a product yeah. of the outside, and he's coming back, and ho hopefully we're gonna get some good things done. Couldn't, agree, couldn't agree more, yep. great guy, stand-up guy, he's his own man, so we're all wishing great stuff for him. Lastly, Globe wrote another stupid article, uh, again, claiming the boss, you know, accusing the Boston Police Department of being racist, this time they're accusing the brick of being racist. I, I don't even wanna get into it except to say, uh, a surprise, surprise, once again, the Globe banging on police officers. No surprise there. Uh, and I think I took a couple of shots at the Globe earlier, but, um, you know, basically the Globe, if you look at them today, they love to report about Rhode Island. Maybe they should continue reporting on a state other than the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, because all they do when it comes to Massachusetts is bash police officers. Yeah. They've written stories in the past about a Boston Regional Intelligence Center, the brick, uh, along with some really nasty city councilors that only have their certain political views uh, that the brick is racist, the brick should be unfunded, the Get brick should the be brick. done away with. And then in the very next breath, the Boston Globe and those same anti-police city councilors in Boston will have you believe that the brick should have done a better job, Why the brick should have done brick more. doing their job? Yeah, I mean- Pick, pick a story. You like. know what, cut the crap, yeah. You know what, the, they shouldn't have withheld the money from the brick for the funding, would have more offices there, they'd be able to do a more in-depth job, and you know what would happen? The Globe and the same city councils would take shots at them anyway, so uh, I'll yeah. stop short of there stop, saying, well, yeah. stop, stop the nonsense. It, it needs to be said enough of the nonsense. All right, uh, Larry, that's podcast number three in the books. Before we say goodbye, uh, time now for the Ask Larry segment of the uh, podcast. And again, as always, we're asking folks who have questions, please send those questions to answering the call at bppa.org. Again, that's answering the call at bpa.org. This week's or this show's question, and I think it's an interesting question, not only for you, but for me as well. But uh, if your son or daughter came to you and said, hey, dad, I, I really want to be a police officer. What what would you say to your son or daughter? Wow, tough question. I have to. And again, answering the call at BPPA.org. BPPA.org. BPPA. Dot org. Boston Police yeah. Patrolman's two, Association. Two P's. I said one P? I wasn't sure. That's All right. Well, thank you down. for bringing it, pointing that out. Okay. So what do you say? I mean, uh, it, you know, policing has changed since you've been on, but you have a son or daughter who says, Dad, I want to protect and serve. Tricky. Yeah, it's a tricky thing to for me to answer. Obviously, I'm a little worked up today. Um, if my son or daughter came to me and said that they really want to be a police officer, I, I look at that like when any police officer got hired or when they were trying to be hired. It, it's a calling. Um, we all have specific reasons why we wanted to be a police officer, and at some point it junctures uh, it, all, all of the opinions and the topics. They'll come to some junction of service. We're all here for a reason of serving the general public. Public service making a difference. Yeah, helping people, uh, being involved at people's worst times of their life or their most um, important time of need for somebody from law enforcement. And we have that desire to be there and make that difference. So that being said, if my son or daughter came home and, and said they wanted to do it, then obviously I would support them in their endeavor. Uh, but I would give them 28 years of experience and knowledge of how the police department here in Boston has changed since I've been a police officer. Um, I'd give them that historical point of view and years of experience yep. that I have. But at the end of the day, 
people want to be a police officer for their own reasons. And if my son and daughter wanted to do it, of course I would support them in that endeavor. And I would say to everybody out there that might be thinking, hey, police, police officers today, we get such a bad rap. We're always having the negativity pointed at us. We're always the... Um, Gotta have a thick the, skin. Yeah, we're, we're always the... the the whipping child or the person to blame crap rolls downhill and it's always the police department's fault. I still think you need to tell your, your son and daughter, this is a great job. Yeah. When I leave roll call and you've been with me and the members have heard me probably to their nauseum, this is a great job. Um, and we're here for a reason. So at the end of the day, hopefully we're making that difference to the general public we serve. Well, you know, I'm just going to quickly Jump on to that. You know, when I became a police officer, 3497, I, I was a reluctant police officer. I wasn't sure. And then I got on the job and I got a chance to see what so many don't get a chance to see. I met some wonderful people, committed, courageous, who cared about, you know, making the city safer. And in becoming a police officer and being around police officers, I was like, wow, we got some great people doing this job. And there's a place for a guy like me who wants to make a difference and help people. So I couldn't agree with you more. Again, you know, we're fortunate to have great folks on our job who are drawn to a profession where you have to run towards danger to keep people safe. Something to be said for that. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Jamie. Hey, just on the brick, I'm not quite sure if I slid it in there, but we owe a big thank you to the men and women that serve in the brick, police officers and detectives and supervisors alike. They're doing a tremendous job up there under constant scrutiny. So uh, if any of you are listening, which I hope you are, uh, please pass that along to both the detectives and the Federation. Uh, they're doing a tremendous job up there. Podcast number three in the book. Again, thank you to BPPA President Larry Calderon. I'm Jamie Keneally, Legislative Director for the BPPA. Until the next time, uh, thank you for listening. And to our men and women out in the street, please, please stay safe. Good night, good night, goodbye, and good night, or good day, everybody.